All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 394. It's just Jason and me, me and Jason. We're going to be covering a thing that Jason wrote and he titled it Sun Gods. Now, this is an important idea for all the people who have been out reading Steiner and other things, Light of Egypt. You'll understand how critically the idea of our sun or the light of our world, because it provides the light for where we are, is in a spiritual path. Part of the problem here is the Vatican and other religious traditions have done a very good job of defaming this and making, and it blows my mind, the sun evil. And I'm not sure how you could possibly call the sun evil when it creates all the light and life in this world. If we didn't have a sun, what would we have? We'd have permanent night. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And good morning. And it feels like spring has indeed sprung. Well, we're almost there. We're still cold. But I saw three days ago a bee and a worm. (laughs) So that must mean something. Uh, I actually saw a worm on the driveway, and I said, that's got to mean spring is is on its way here. But in Rhode Island, I could wake up in uh, April to snow. You never know. Anyhow, let's jump in here. The sun is the bestower of light and life to the totality of the cosmos. With his unblinking, all-seeing eye, he is the stern guarantor of justice. With the almost universal connection of light with enlightenment or illumination, the sun is the source of wisdom. Truly, 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 when I go out into the world, I always nod my head to the sun that is giving me warmth, that allows the plant kingdom to exist, that allows every kingdom to exist. And if you want to go on a spiritual course, the sun's going to be a big part of it. After all, how many people since, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, got into the idea of sun gazing and suddenly realized this light over my head, there's this whole other world I knew nothing about. I remember talking with David Weiss, who reported what I reported when I was sun gazing in San Diego. My eyesight got better. Um, It corrected astigmatism, actually. And my vision was much better from that point forward. But let's get into it here. A solar deity, which could mean a sun god or goddess, is a sky deity who represents the sun, or at least some aspect of it, usually by its perceived power and strength. Solar deities and sun worship can be found throughout most of recorded history in various forms, oftentimes morphing from one form to another as time moved on. All right. In an effort on my part to get people who are interested in reading the Bible, who have been brought up Christian to take an interest in what we're saying, how many times in the Bible, and I could have answered this, but I didn't, um, I could have used a search in, is the word power used or powers. Now in older texts, I'm, I'm going to do a whole spiel here that gives you words that you could look for in the Bible and have a whole new deeper connotation that ties to the sky clock that was intentionally put there. Not a surface reading, mind you, but deeper. The word powers or power will often be connected to the sun. If you go back to very, very old spiritual traditions that are in the Christian vein of things, you will find the following. The earth is the center of the solar system, so to speak. At least it is the center for, let me see if I can get this right. Earth center, next moon. Next, Mercury, which is misnamed, we call it Venus, then Venus, then the Sun. Now, around that whole little conglomeration of which we are the center goes Mars, Jupiter, Saturn. 
Now, here's the words that I'm going to offer you. And I put these right in the episode image that we did with Jaron recently. I think it's episode 390. If you go look at that image, you're going to have written down what I'm about to tell you. So realms of spiritual influence go in this manner. And by the way, all the people that have not wanted me to hold back, here it comes. From the earth to the moon is relatable to the word angel that spiritual realm of influence from the moon to what we call Venus, which used to be called Mercury. uh, Let me see if I got this. I always mess it up from the moon to Mercury, which we currently call Venus is archangels, the realm of influence from Mercury to Venus, which we currently call Mercury is the archive. Now from the archive to the sun is the influence of the powers. Beyond that, there is a larger, what we would call orbits, which are actually realms of influence, spiritual influence. There's a big circle around everything I just said with the earth at the center. Now the sun becomes the center of this larger circle. So from the sun to Mars is the influence realm of the mites, like mighty, the mites. From Mars to Jupiter would be the dominions. And beyond Jupiter, out to Saturn, the grand old daddy of everything is called the thrones. Now, the only reason I'm pointing this out is because now when you search through scripture and you see the word mites, power, thrones, dominions, there is a deeper meaning you can get at. And Jason, did I do that well enough? Oh, I think that's a good intro for all of this. Yeah. It goes to show you that what happens in most Western religions, what happened to me? I went to church, I was raised Lutheran, and by the time I was 14, I had had it up to my eyeballs hearing the same stories all the time. I wanted more. Yeah, I get it. Rich man's not going to heaven. Yeah, I get it. You can't follow Jesus if you don't get give away your riches and all the stories that we've all grown up on in the West. I wanted more. Well, there is more. You just have to seek to find it. And what I just handed you is a mini key to look a little more deeply And then to begin to realize if I wake up in the morning and I go outside and I realize this is the creation, this creation is here for me, for all of us, for all living things. But how is it that when I look up, that's not the creation anymore? Contraire, that is the creation. Everything we can see, those so-called luminaries out in the world. Well, before I say this, I'm going to ask a question. If I was to ask everybody listening, is the earth alive? I'm guessing that a vast majority would say yes. In fact, the earth is alive. So this creation where we exist is alive. How is it when we look up at those other so-called luminaries, there's a brick wall that prevents us from comprehending that this entire creation is alive? And how is it that when we realize that, we wouldn't assume or logically work out that when I look at that thing that they call Jupiter, that is an intelligence. You ever heard of Mother Nature? Anyhow, there it is, Jason. I didn't pull any punches. This is not the episode to pull punches, I think. Probably not. The qualities of sovereignty, power of beneficence, justice, and wisdom are central to any elite religious group, and it is within these contexts that a highly developed solar ideology can be found. Kings would rule by the power of the sun and would claim to be descended from the sun. Solar deities, gods and goddesses personifying the sun, would be seen as sovereign and all-seeing. The sun is often a prime attribute of or is identified with 
the supreme deity of a pantheon or belief system. Which is true, but what I just told you is hierarchies. By the time you get out to thrones, you're many hierarchies above the sun. But yet the sun relates more closely with where we are here at the center starting point that we call Earth. And by the way, here's another stumbling block. Well, King Louis called himself the sun king. Pretty sure he was worshiping Lucifer. So what he was doing has no benefit to me. Again, contraire. King Louis was not doing that for no reason. King Louis was recognizing what's been in front of our eyes the whole time. And then we see things like the Masons. Well, that's the sun in May, the May sun. So that's clearly evil. No, sorry. It's like saying that the number 33 is evil. No, it's not. And if you get caught in that trap, you are missing so much of why that number has been latched onto. What's evil or not evil is what a group or an individual decides to do with the thing. Here's a knife. I'm going to carve the most beautiful statue you've ever seen. Everyone appreciates it. Here's a knife. I'm going to go do mayhem. Now, what's evil here? The knife or the wielder? It's no different. Colors, the same thing. We see it all the time. Numbers, uh, those are, no, they're not evil. They're there for everybody and they create the way that we're able to think about things. And by the way, 33 is the only way you can cut the hole into thirds. There's no other ways to do it. And by the way, that number shows you an important thing. If I've got to use 33, To cut the hole into thirds, there cannot be a clean division of a third if you think about where I'm going here. Now think of the Trinity. I'm just saying there's so much here that people have been convinced that's evil. I won't pay attention. And I'm here to tell you this is all part of the creation and you make of it what you will. If you're a bad person, probably going to be evil. If you're a good person, definitely will not be. And I think these are important ideas because so many people say, well, the Masons are using the sun. King Louis is using the sun. So that's not for me. Well, I got news for you. It is for you because you don't get to have plants in your world or light in your day without it. So how is it that it is not for each and every one of us? I would ask. 33rd degree Freemason Albert Pike had these things to say about sun worship in his various writings. The first one is this. The worship of the sun became the basis of all the religions of antiquity. So what he's saying here is going to create the same problem that I just addressed. Well, Albert Pike, most people have a dim view of Albert Pike, except a lot of Masons may not. But the truth is, is what he's saying is a true thing. You can track it back through time. As a matter of fact, as we go through Jason's bullets, you're going to see just how far back in time this goes. And why is that? Well, think about what I told you the influence realm of the sun is called in the older text, powers. That's a big word with a big meaning. And when you consider, say, the sky clock, a lot of people who are into the sky clock might consider that the sun is almost like a lens in a way. And all these influences that come from the other luminaries, almost you could describe it as being lensed in to our little place where we exist by the sun. But here's more. I told you that from the earth to the moon could be associated with angels. Now go back to all that Renaissance art or any art where an angel is depicted. Go to a story in the Bible where an angel is depicted and now begin to form out a deeper meaning about what's been right in front of your eyes the whole time. These are important ideas, and I hope that people are interested in Christianity and the Bible will at least do what they can. Each of us has to get there on our own dime. And for some, 
what's acceptable to one may not be another. And that's almost wholly due to where we are in our journey, I would estimate. Next quote from Pike. Thousands of years ago, men worshipped the sun. Originally, they looked beyond the orb to the invisible God. They personified him as Brahma, Amun, Osiris, Bel, Adonis, Malkarth, Mithras, and Apollo. Krishna is the Hindu sun god. So this gets very tricky because in the schematic that I just laid out for you, where we started Earth, we have an influence realm called angels, and we go all the way out to Saturn, and that last one being called thrones— In the older way of thinking that I have seen most often, beyond Saturn is what's called the Godhead. So what's weird about this is like when we're praying to God, what is in your mind? What are you thinking about? Is is that what makes the sun seem evil because someone's calling the sun God? Well, if you use what I just laid down, that is one hierarchical influence realm. If you want to get to what was once referred to as the Godhead, you got to go past all the luminaries. And since it's hierarchy, we're starting at the very lowest, which is us to the moon and going out beyond the furthest, which right now for luminaries that I'm willing to talk about would be Saturn. And I won't include Uranus and Neptune, by the way, that's a whole other thing. And from my personal point of view, it's important, but very little to do with what we're doing right now. Uh, I think they will come into play uh, as human beings become more and more up the spiritual ladder. Next quote from Pike, the Gauls worshipped the sun under the name of Belen or Belenus. So we should talk a minute about the idea of the dog star, Jason, Sirius, just so people know it matters what color a thing is, how bright it is. That's why it matters when I pointed out to you, there are older texts that will claim we've reversed Mercury and Venus. And the reason is, is because what we call Venus as the morning star or the evening star is pretty much the brightest thing you're ever going to see. I think a full moon may be brighter at times, but then there's the brightest star. That brightest star is Sirius, had a lot to do supposedly with Egyptian ideas and the flooding of the Nile and how it was related to Isis or Osiris, all these things you hear. But did you know there's an, a substantiated claim or what I consider substantiated that every star on every police officer is standing in for Sirius. And now we go back to Pike. Well, what was his intention? Was he working for the benefit of all living beings? In my view, he was not. As a matter of fact, he had a small group that they called masonry who he was supposedly working for, but I've gone by that too, where most of the membership is window dressing for a power elite, like all things in the world that are above. So what I'm pointing out here is those who have all the power in this world never lost sight of the sky clock. And even to this day, we get pulled over, we see a five or a six-pointed star, we have no idea why or how it got there. Well, I just told you there are claims, and I think Jason may have something to say about that. This, of course, can get into the crisscrossing of the sun and Saturn and its symbolism. But next quote from Pike, the sun is the ancient symbol of the life-giving and generative power of the deity. The sun was his manifestation and visible image. 
For anyone out there who has sun gazed, I hope you'll go into comments and give your own personal description of what's happened. And again, if you have never done it, don't go out and do it. You wouldn't give a baby a jalapeno. That's what I always say. You've got to do it carefully and incrementally. And you can get up to a point where you can pretty much look at, at the sun on most days, um, but there's a certain way that you do it. But what I feel is regenerated, like in a huge way, not like taking a drug. You know, I feel different now, but like energized, almost like my battery's been recharged. I immediately began to realize that my vision had improved. And when I began to think about our realm and the plants and all the interaction with the sun, I began to realize all my life I've lived with this blatantly obvious thing above my head and never gave it a second thought or a second look. But all that has changed now. And the last quote from Pike, the sun is the hieroglyphical sign of truth because it is the source of light. And Pike capitalized light. Makes you wonder. Yeah. I mean, there's no way around this. So now let's think about, you know, why did they pull Sirius? It's the brightest star, what we call stars, but it's nowhere near as bright as the sun. So why didn't they put the sun everywhere? And he called it truth. Well, it is truth. Even in our language, like for those who read um, Reverend Robert Taylor, the first version of his book, The Devil's Pulpit, in our language, we have words like very. Well, those root back in the ammonian radicals he so brilliantly uses to the word vernal. And vernal was always used to communicate this thing I'm saying is the highest truth. Think of the Bible. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. That word verily roots back to vernal, roots back to the sun. And the reason it's truth beyond question is because every morning at the exact precise second that it needs to, the sun will be there. And there are the ideas that back it. So here's this guy, Pike, most of us aren't too thrilled with, and he's telling you the truth. And the problem becomes, I don't like that guy, Pike, so anything he says is evil, but I'm here to tell you, a perfect description of the sun is truth. And there are so many ways that could be demonstrated. What we can gather from these statements is that Albert Pike identified the sun as a symbol of a deity that should be worshipped. He chose to capitalize the S in sun as one would in recognizing some sort of important deity. So here's the issue where everything goes off the rails. As soon as someone says worship and sun in the same breath, most people have been brought up that you're pretty much going to hell in the religious traditions we grew up with, certainly the one I did. But if you go back to what I described in the beginning about the hierarchical influence realms, now think about what we're saying. The powers is three away from us, and those realms keep getting higher and higher and higher out to a supposed godhead. So even though he's saying we should give ultimate respect to this thing, I would point out in those old traditions, the godhead is far out beyond the sun. With all of this being said, it is a distinct possibility that the adepts of the mystery schools or the mystery Babylon religion could have offered sun worship to the masses as a means of disguising what they knew to be true. With this thought in mind, the sun would be a perfect thing to build a religion around because of its basic and significantly important role in nature. First off, it is, of course, very visible and has an extremely important role in all life. It rises in the morning or appears to be born and sets in the evening or appears to die, then reappearing 
born again the following morning. It also appears to wander in the sky, settling further north or south each night, depending on the time of year. It then returns back to any given position twice each year. So the sun appears to have a major birth or death twice each day and twice each year. It would, of course, be very easy for the adepts to explain to the people that only something bigger than mankind, a god, had the ability to die and then to come back to life. So the adepts would teach the people that they had to pray to the god or it could choose not to return. They could be said to have encouraged the masses to worship the sun so that it would return again either once a day or once every six months. The risen savior. So don't get lost on what's being laid here. And so much of the scriptural texts all over the world and the biggest religions that have been around for a long, long time, it has been said, and I can't tell you if it's true, I'm no master, that there are minimally seven layers deep of meaning. So what I'm pointing out here is while we can demonstrate that it has been used in the way Jason just decided, that surface meaning could just simply be a parable to teach things about morality or other things. And that's what gets complicated here. The priests who made this stuff were clever above all others, literate above all others. And so what's hard is, wait a minute, I read this and it means this moral story. And then all of a sudden it means this. So that must mean the moral story is wrong. No, I'm telling you it's meaning stacked on meaning stacked on meaning. But to get back to the importance of it, here's some ideas. And I'm not pulling punches again. Years and years ago at the summer solstice, which about June 21 ish, That's the high point of the sun or the highest declination for the sun in a year. What we call Christmas is the low point or the winter solstice, which is roughly the 21st, 22nd ish. Um, Basically, what's what Christmas is about. Now, on the left and right, if that's top and bottom, highest and lowest, there are two equinoxes. The fall equinox has been referred to as the silver gate. Silver is not gold. The spring or rising equinox has been called the Golden Gate. It is my suspicion that the Golden Gate Bridge is named after that and positioned to mimic the gateway and things that men built. But here's the thing. If I was to ask you, is there any importance to the sky clock according to when you die in the year? Well, I have found many texts that claim it is. Now, I'm not an ascended master, but I have seen versions of this in so many places that have no relationship one to the other. Here's one of the claims. If you die between June 21 and Christmas-ish on a waning moon, in other words, the moonlight is shrinking, then you're going to be reborn to Earth. The additional claim is, is that if you're born after Christmas and before June 21, as we're rising up through spring and the moon is waxing, or growing larger with its light, you get a choice. There are versions of this. But the idea is that in these times that I have just outlined, where there's a waxing moon in this period of the sun's course of a year, that you get a choice to come back or to do a spiritual realm or something like that. Now, for a lot of people, these these ideas will be such a bridge too far. But what first set me on this course years and years ago was I saw a reference in a single place that called the summer solstice, the height of the power of the sun, as the gateway of men. And the winter, or the low point of the sun in a year for us, 
around the 21st of December is the gateway of the gods. All these things relate. So how is it that I can quit considering these huge ideas? How is it that I've gone to church my whole life and not said, wait a minute, what, what happens when I die? I mean, literally explain to me literally what happens, where I go, what's the experience. And that's why all this is important because the men in black were put in front to tell you the surface narrative. And I don't think I've ever experienced anything deeper in the entirety of my life while attending a church. And that is why I have realized that my spiritual path is, it's mine. I have to do it. It's on my dime. If I don't do it, someone can't do it for me. And so it has further been said, as I shut up here, that the seeker will find according to what they're ready to find. In other words, we need to get off our butts and we need to look more deeply because we've been offered very little. There is, of course, another point of view to cover that the elite required to make this new religion work. The elite needed to be able to predict the path of the sun, as well as its various interactions with other luminaries. It is almost certain that the ancient elites were adept at mathematics that the common people were not, as well as having an understanding of astronomical events and astrological movements. Should the profane, as they see us, or the common folk, start to figure out that the sun was moving according to mappable and predictable paths, they would not need the adepts who had already computed the sun's periodic cycles. So, to keep their power intact, they would teach the people that if they did not accommodate their wishes, they would make certain that the sun did not, in fact, return. They could even predict, as their measurements became more sophisticated over time, the exact time and date when eclipses would occur, which would cause the sun to disappear. They could then fool the people into believing that they were the cause of the disappearance. They could then explain to the people that if they did not continue to pay them some sort of tribute, they would not intercede on their behalf, and the sun would not reappear. I would suggest that they are still pulling these sorts of scams today. This is as important a bullet point as we're ever going to lay down for people who are concerned with a spiritual path and doing better and rising up the spiritual ladder that is available to all living men and women. The priests historically have always been far more educated than everyone else. And a lot of times it's claimed people couldn't even add, subtract, read, or write. And here's these men that are calculating the path of the sky clock. Well, first of all, let's keep it in mind that they know the sky clock. Why do they know it? Does it matter? Clearly it matters. But they did sneaky things. Like they would tell a a surface narrative in scriptures like, well, this man had the power to do this in the dominion of this country. Well, as I've told you, another priest who is educated and knows the secret keys would understand he just said the word power. And he just said the word dominion and on and on it goes. And by the way, it gets a lot more convoluted than that, even to the point where one particular passage has three meanings and some of them almost seem to be contrary. So this is why it's important. And I'll say again, um, why did they do it? Why did they hide it? Well, I'll tell you why, because we have influences that make this world work and to try to illustrate a little bit about what I accept as much as I can at the point I'm at is when you get way out to the thrones or the dominions, which would be 
roughly the realms of influence called Jupiter and Saturn, those intelligences. It is claimed in many old texts that they have zero freedom and zero ability to do anything more than what the Godhead has transmitted needs to be done. And it goes like this all the way down to the angels and archangels, which are closest to us, to the point where they even have laid out how did evil come into our world? Well, down in those lower, seem high to us, but in those lower influence realms, they did have the power to make decisions at some level, and they chose to introduce the evil. The idea behind it, so they say, is that we could have just had a garden of paradise and gone up, but we would have just been another long line of ascending beings up a spiritual path. The fact that we have free will and the divine spark is this idea that if we can overcome all the evil and the bad decisions, that when we come out on the other side as higher beings, there will be nothing that has ever happened before that will rival the heights a living man or a living woman to go to. Now that I've said all that, now do you get why the priests hit it and lied about it? It was more than just keeping their power. They knew that a living man or a living woman on the right path would not be controllable at any level because they would be far beyond such things. And I don't know how well I laid that down. I'm trying to be careful as I go all the way here, Jason. Well, we're in hour one, right? We are in hour one. <laughs> <laughs> if the elite knew that the sun was a symbol of something that the people would not support, such as a belief that Lucifer or the devil or some other sort of negative thing was the god that they worshipped, they would have to continue with this charade so that the people would not decide to stop their worshipping. Because if the profane figured that out, they would no longer support the elite's activities. Therefore, they would have to keep their beliefs from the masses, concealing their secret worship in hidden symbols. So sun worship as a religion prospered throughout the centuries. We will now start going through the various solar deities. All right. So think about what I've tried to outline here. So if you create the Saul Invictus worship, which is worship of the sun, you know what you've done? If you get everyone to go along with it, you've taken a vast spectrum of spiritual influence that goes all the way out beyond the thrones, as I've outlined them, and you've ignored all that. You've ignored what's even the, the most immediate, and you've gone just to the sun. And now the vision and the spiritual seeking has been just strangled down to one aspect. It's a bit like saying, you know, we've got this rainbow that the sun proves is real when we get a prism and we're all going to worship purple now. Purple is the only thing we pay attention to. We're going to worship purple, forgetting that there is a whole spectrum of colors that create and influence everything. And this is a key, key point. This is another reason why the priests who are expanding and their comprehension and their knowing and kind of going to the dark side because it was their job to help every living being. And instead, what they did is they became power hungry. How do I keep my big house? How do I keep my control over all these things? Things like the Vatican sprung up. Is there anything richer in the world? I mean, if you did a garage sale in one building at the Vatican, you'd probably have more money then Lord knows how many other places in the world. And how is it that a place that is supposedly concerned with suffering, people starving, spiritual endeavors could amass such wealth, which is the proof that what I am stating has gone on. So 
in my view, it is critical to expand your idea of what the spiritual path is and how much of it is available to you and where you exist within it. And you should never just take my word or any word. You need to seek and you need to find what's acceptable to you. And the way that I typically do it is years ago, as an example, I found the gate of men and the gate of the gods. And I thought, well, why aren't they explaining this? And I kept going back to it. And then I heard Silvergate and Golden Gate. Well, where's all the other information? And years go by. And then suddenly a piece here, a piece there. Steiner fills in a bunch. The light of Egypt starts to fill. And then you start to get an overall picture that there are realms of influence that provide what it means to be alive here. And we are busy looking at purple and purple only. It is thought by many that Hinduism is the world's oldest religion, the roots and customs of which are said to date back more than 4,000 years. Today, with about 900 million followers, Hinduism is the third largest religion behind Christianity and Islam. Roughly 95% of the world's Hindus live in India. It's difficult to trace its origins and history since there is no specific founder. Hinduism is unique in that it's not a single religion, but a compilation of many traditions and philosophies from antiquity. Just so you comprehend, it is very well demonstrated that almost everything in spiritual ideas or many living ideas has its roots in India. And that's for the entire world. By the way, go read The Worship of Augustus Caesar does such a good job of showing how Rome finally gets a hold of all that information and starts romanizing it. These are true things. Well, we saw a huge resurgence of interest in that particular culture and belief systems and all that in the 1960s. Right. Uh, it's often connected with like the hippie-ish or, or what the mainstream tied, tried to make like a counterculture. Um, but people in their hearts, they knew there's something to this place. And this is another thing about religion, that it does a huge disservice. If I'm a living man and I meet a living man of any kind from anywhere in the world, how is it that I can't recognize that he has the same blood running through him as I do? If someone cuts me, I'm going to be hurt. He's going to be hurt. And yet this man's Islamic. I'm Christian. That's it. We can't get along. That's not correct. That is not a correct way to proceed. And everybody should examine the bigotry that's been introduced by places like the Vatican. It's our way or we'll knock your country off the map. There's more proofs that the dark side has been entered by the very edifices that are claiming to to provide a spiritual path. And by the way, if you want to take it a step further, if the Vatican was really concerned with making sure no one starved, isn't the truth that they've got more than enough money to feed every person 20 meals a day till the end of time? So you can logically work out what's actually gone on here. But I, I had something I wanted to add about Islam, Jason, but it just escaped me. Hinduism embraces many religious ideas. For this reason, it's sometimes referred to as a way of life or a family of religions, as opposed to a single, organized religion. Most forms of Hinduism are henotheistic, which means they worship a single deity. This deity is Brahman. However, they also recognize numerous other gods and goddesses. Followers of Hinduism believe there are multiple paths to reaching their God. So if I was going to try to have a conversation to get someone who's been taught that this is the devil's work to consider it, 
because those are fellow human beings. They did not do these things for no reason. The vast majority of them did not have evil, misguided hearts. Uh, I would point out all these trails go back to this point. That's as far back as we can see, and I'm sure that it goes far beyond what we can see. But if you look at how high a level any given civilization, for lack of better terms, was, you can do things in India like there's this one temple, forgot what it's called. It's all about cymatics. As a matter of fact, these carved columns, when you hit them, they ring a very particular tone. As a matter of fact, some of the, they look identical, and yet they're each a different tone. We have no idea about any of this. We're just amazed by it. But what's even more is at the top, there is a stone chain coming from the roof. The top link in the chain is granite. The links coming down from the granite are sandstone. Do you see the problem? But the problem shows you a truth. Clearly, these beings had a much higher grasp of how to work within the creation than we do. Another way of saying that is they integrated with the creation we've been given and used the natural possibilities at their disposal instead of trying to build a machine, which, by the way, goes the opposite way. The difference being is that a machine is dead. All that a machine will ever do is dead. However, they did what they did was using cymatics, resonance, the truths of the Godhead. And by the way, that's what I was going to say. And it wasn't about Islam. It was about Hinduism. If I'm not mistaken, and I hope I don't get this wrong. Someone correct me if they feel that I get this wrong, but I think you might be able to take the Brahma idea and translate it to what I've said as Godhead, the outermost unknowable. The sun god of Hinduism is Surya. Surya is one of the major five deities in Hinduism. As often happens with the ancient pantheons, the various gods and goddesses can take on different meanings and relationships depending on the time period. Surya is often depicted riding a chariot harnessed by horses, often seven in number, which are said to represent the seven colors of visible light as well as the seven days of the week. In medieval Hinduism, Surya was considered to be a manifestation of the Hindu major gods Shiva, Brahma, and Vishnu, who are considered a triune god. We'll see a good bit more about triune gods as we go along. Surya is said to have had 108 different names. There's so much going in in what Jason read, but let's go back. Uh, In the same way, if you go to a period of time and there are 12 disciples, you can bet your bottom dollar that that is living in a time when the calendar has 12 months. What is a month? It's a station of the sun. Now, as Jason went in here telling how Surya was represented, there's all this encoding. He had seven horses. Well, why? Well, because it's the seven colors of visible light. Okay. It's the seven weeks, which all take their name everywhere from one of the intelligence or luminaries that we currently call planets. So when you go back to the beginning of that, if you've been told some things or worked out some things, you can comprehend, wait a minute, there are seven basic divisions of light. There are seven luminaries that get used in these systems from this period of time. DC, they're taking a holistic view. Now, we've covered this time and time again, where we go in and show pretty much Buddhism could be represented by the idea of Mercury, Islam, Venus, um, the Christians, uh, uh, Jupiter. Uh, Some people like to go down the road of the Jew, Peter. But the point is, think if that's true, think about what's happened. Well, we're here 
with Jupiter influences and we've forgotten the other six influences. So when you go way back to these Hindus, it appears that they were going full spectrum. They weren't worshiping purple. They were recognizing and appreciating the complete spectrum of light. And like I have tried to outline, their idea was a a godhead beyond everything that I tried to describe in hierarchies of influence, beyond it all, unknowable and permeating every bit of it. Now, for a Christian, you understand these concepts. That's very close to what most Christians would think of, of the Christian God in Christian scriptures. So how is it that these disparate places, millennia apart or centuries apart at least, have the same ideas written slightly different with a different name gone on them. So I'll ask the question, until we had whatever religion you are, does that mean that everyone else was forsaken in all that time before that particular religion existed? You see where I'm going here. Either this is the creation and we are all part of this creation since there was a creation and any living man or woman to be in the creation. Do you suppose the Godhead just threw away the first five millennium until we got to the the religion that you are. This is versions of versions of versions of this world, this creation being what it is and changing its appearance, its flavor, its language slightly to suit the individuals that exist in this time. That's what I accept is correct. Next, we move on to Mesopotamia, where we find Shamash in the Akkadian language or Utu in Sumerian. In the Mesopotamian religion, the god of the sun, along with the moon god Sin, Sumerian name being Nana, and Ishtar, with the Sumerian name being Inanna, the goddess of Venus, were part of another triune god. Shamash was the son of Sin. Shamash, as the solar deity, exercised the power of light over darkness as well as evil. Because of this, he was known as the god of justice and equity and was the judge of both the gods and of men. Legend tells that the Babylonian king Hammurabi received his code of laws from Shamash. During the night, Shamash became the judge of the underworld. Shamash was not only the god of justice, but also was the governor of the entire universe. In this respect, he was pictured seated on a throne. In his hands, he held the symbols of justice and righteousness, a staff and a ring. Also associated with Shamash is the notched dagger. Shamash is often pictured with a disc that symbolized the sun. As the god of the sun, Shamash was the heroic conqueror of night and death, who swept across the heavens on horseback, or in some representations, in a boat or a chariot. We will see this symbolism represented in the Egyptian myths as well. Shamash bestowed light and life. Because he was of a heroic and wholly ethical nature, he is only rarely a player in the mythology where most of the gods all too often behaved like mortals. The chief centers of his cult were at Larsa in Sumer and at Sippar in Akkad. Shamash's consort was Aya, who would later be absorbed by Ishtar. So are you noticing what I'm noticing? Besides the fact that we're in Mesopotamia, which will relate to those who are familiar with the Christian Old Testament and the Abrahamic ideas, and from the very beginning of those scriptures, what's the foundational ideas here? 
Well, it's what we all experience. It's what every living being has always experienced. There's seasons and there's night and day. There is your foundation for everything else we can possibly experience in this place and what causes it. What causes the season? Why am I freezing right now in Rhode Island? Why will the horseshoe crabs come ashore on the same period of time they do every year to make more horseshoe crabs? It's because of these foundational truths and all these older religions openly related to it as part of the creation, where in our time, places like the Vatican took time to shame people. Oh, you're a pagan. You're close to nature. You're a pagan. You're going to hell. And it's ridiculous. This creation is here for all of us. We all experience these same overarching ideas, and we can logically work out what is it that that foundationally creates our experiences. Well, it's seasons and night and day. You can't get much more foundational than that, can you? And it's always mattered. So when you hear these old myths and it's all, what do you mean this dude would come out at night and he's judging? They're just talking about aspects of nature. And that's what I wanted to say to the Hindus. I wanted to say when Jason had said all these deity names and everything else, would you think of it differently if we didn't say the deity's name and we said this particular aspect of nature? Doesn't that make a big difference in the way we think now? And by the way, what he laid down for Mesopotamia is such a big idea. I'm guessing almost everyone listening has heard of Hammurabi's code. It's still a big deal. And it's still actually in most schools, as far as I know, in junior high. The idea of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. On and on it goes. And for the last point for hour one, we will be moving on to Egypt. We have Re, R-E, or Ra, R-A, or Pra, P-R-A. Ra was the god of the sun and was the creator god. He was believed to travel across the sky in his solar bark and during the night to make his passage in another bark through the underworld, where in order to be born again for the new day, he had to vanquish the evil serpent Apopis or Apepi. Ra was one of the creator gods and as such, he rose from the ocean of chaos on the primeval hill, creating himself and then in turn, engendering eight other gods. Everything that has just been laid down here is talking, encoding old, old ideas, in my view, of aspects of nature, and it's still in our language. Ra, well, it's also a ray, or you could just make it a hard A. Uh, That's a ray of light. You see how it's gone everywhere. How about Horus? Well, we still use that too, horizon. Don't get me started on ISIS. And by the way, for those of you who have gotten your hands on a relatively old, I don't know, maybe 50s, 40s, 50s uh, Masonic Bible, you will find all these Egyptian religious ideas as foundational in the beginning, demonstrating something about the triune deity idea, which travels right up into ours. And this is where people get hung up. So I would ask if there truly is one Godhead that made all this. Isn't it the same Godhead through all time? Aren't these just people using the language, the ideas, and the sneaky priests encoding what they want to hold on to keep their power so they can threaten everybody with a, you know, an eclipse or however they want to do it, how they can appear to be amazing because they know these things about the heavens that no one can possibly know if you see what I'm getting at here. And there is a reason why those Masonic Bibles have all that Egyptian stuff in the beginning. I've always kind of considered maybe that's the furthest back they see, or maybe it's just simply the one they're trying to identify as their root. Hard to know, but what would you add, Jason? 
Well, we're only on to our third culture here, and I think it should be very evident that the similarities are uncanny, to say the least. It seems that as mankind spread out and cultures changed and merged and integrated and all that sort of thing, that they were taking their concepts with them. Not only that, the Freemasonic Bible, I have one of those, and the entire beginning is very, very hyper-focused on Egyptian symbolism, the Temple of Solomon, and a couple other concepts that are very integrated as part of Freemasonry. And the cool thing is, if you want to see one for yourself, you can get them silly cheap on eBay. I got mine for like, I think, $15 or $16. Average, I see them go for like 20-some bucks. So if you want to get a Bible, it's a full Bible, but the Freemasonic one has all that extra stuff in it, and they're generally a blue cover, and they're not hard to find. You'll find tons of them if you go and look. It's a great reference source to add to your collection. And it was not too long ago, it would have been nearly impossible to get easily your hands on such a thing when they were held by the organizations and you needed your secret handshake um, and to consider that you were somehow above all the other people around who had not been taught what you had been taught, which is just another priesthood doing what priesthoods do. Either a thing is for all of God's creation to use the words or it's not. So how is it that these are the special ones over here? Isn't it true that if I go out into nature and I see a certain kind of a bird, it's here for a reason? So how can I look at this other kind of bird that I don't like so much and he annoys me for some reason and say, I wish that bird would just be out of here? Well, that bird's there for a reason who too. And by the way, the creation put that bird here. So you darn well know it belongs here. It gets harder for us as a tick bites us because we can't quite figure out why the tick needs to be here. But at the end of the day, the creation put the tick here too. And these systems, they, they don't fail. The system that we call the creation never needs a new battery. On and on it goes, delivering precisely when it should, as it should, which is what's a little creepy about the time we're into now, where those planes in the sky are trying to hijack natural processes, weather and other things that, as far as I know, have mostly been run by nature or natural influences. But to close out hour one, what I learned years and years ago is that there are civilizations that we looked at here that had much higher spiritual vision than we do currently. As a matter of fact, I consider that it is likely at the 15th or 16th century and you know how I feel about time and history, we lost our spiritual vision, literally lost our spiritual vision. And that's when hypermaterialism started to creep. If I am right, then that means these much older places had spiritual vision to the point that when they looked up at the sun, they saw the spirit, they, they, not how we see with our eyes, but they spiritually saw the realms of influence. That's why they weren't about worship and purple. They knew there's a whole spectrum of color. We don't just choose this kind of tree in the world to say, these are the only trees that matter. No, all the trees matter. It all matters. So the only advice I can offer is maybe if you look at these old tales and swap out the word that God's name, that deity's name for aspects of nature, and then recognize that in every one of them, there is a supreme Godhead above it all that is usually unknowable. You see where I'm going here. Jason, anything you want to add? So we're going to get more into Egyptian culture, and then we will move on to the Roman Empire, both the ancient Roman Empire as well as what the Roman Empire became. 
All right, there it is. A lot of people have complained that I have said I would pull punches because of all the trouble that is caused. Well, I didn't pull much back here, and we will see how it's delivered. And it's a bit like a Rudolf Steiner thing I just read where he stated to a very large audience, there may be three, two, three people out there in the audience that are going to be able to have the ability to want to accept what I'm offering and the ability to, to recognize its value. I don't know where we are. We're far beyond the, I mean, we're talking 1909 or something. We're far beyond that time. We should be coming spiritually forward, which apparently is one of our main purposes. Anyhow, we'll see how it goes. This is our the end of hour one of episode 394 with Jason Lindgren and myself. And the full member two hours will be at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. I hope you all found value in this. Truly, I do. Anyhow, I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. And join us for the full show. Please. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.